Yeah, let's. It's question time. And now we're in the Q and A. It's so, question. So, so while while we're waiting for some time. questions to actually get through, so I, any of you who follow us know that we occasionally interact with a uh, a tweet analyst named Risen Lazarus. So he's like he's the CLG fan to me, my TSM fan, like that crazy kind of. But he's more of a memer. Like there's a lot of memes and stuff. Yes. So I went out to a bar on Thursday night because the friends that I brought with me brought their laptops, and um, yeah, they had to raid. They had to wow raid on Thursday night. So I was like, screw this. I'm gonna go into New York City and go into Manhattan and meet people. So that was when I met Colin and Andrew and, and Barry Edelweiss. Um, and like as I was meeting everyone, and Blake Bortrell from mm-hmm. from Slingshot, and like as I was meeting everyone, I like this one person didn't turn around to say hi to me, and I didn't recognize them. I didn't know who it was. So I like sit down next to him, and I get my my drink, and I'm like sitting there, mm-hmm. and I'm talking to Blake from from Slingshot, and he goes, "Really, Walter? Are, are we gonna fight now or later?" <laughs> Stupid TSM fan. I was like, oh, okay, it's Lazarus. Got it. And then yeah. I, like, shake his hand. But, like, I didn't recognize him because his profile picture has been Darshan. And my profile picture has been Lokodoko. And yeah, you get to I, change that back now. Congratulations. See, I, I, I didn't think of this. I didn't take a picture at Worlds with, like, my face other than you and me. Well, you could do, I mean, whatever. <laughs> I might I have mean, to make, I might have to make that the picture. We'd look like, but, like you know, the I don't have anything... I don't have anything updated of me. I think it's okay as long as I don't also make it my picture, in which case then it gets a little weird. Then be a little weird. That's that's when we we get our. But yeah, I I have to I have to figure out something to do instead of um, instead of Loco Doco because I'm really sick of staring at that. Yeah, that's like fair. I'm so I'm so insanely sick of staring at Loco Doco's face every time I. Just do what I did on uh, on my Skype and just use a copyrighted photo from Riot Games and never give them credit for it anywhere in the description. <laughs> that seems like a, sure. a good thing to do. Uh, <laughs> you could crop someone out. Rasta Duppy, that's just mean. That is like, rude. Don't, don't, don't crop very me out. It's, it's, that's, that's, uh, but you know what? We are going to start with a Rasta Duppy question. Ga- this is a game for your life, Walter. You have to try, you know, bullet to your head if you lose this game. Who do you trust more? Michael Jordan in a Game 7 of the Finals or Faker in a Game 5 at Worlds? Jordan. Jordan, wow. Faker screwed the pooch in Game 5 against EDG and MSI. That's true. I don't, think, I don't think Jordan's ever screwed a Game 7 like that. I mean, he did get himself banned for a year because he gambled. I mean, totally wanted to play, play baseball. baseball. Yeah, okay, Bill Simmons, calm down. Calm down, Bill Simmons. I mean, I let's not let's not get into that discussion. Let's be clear. I 100 percent believe it was gambling. I'm not. That's that's. I I understand that that's a meme, but I also genuinely believe. I there's no other reason. <laughs> I, uh, I, I I I like his last notion of like there's no one to challenge him. Like he didn't care. Yeah. He's like, eh, I don't feel like playing basketball. Let me go try something else. Like he played baseball in high school and college. So that's fair. Look, good good for him. He had fun with it. I, I also, I think I would go MJ in Game 7, just because when he, he was the greatest for such a long period of time, and he just, you know, it was one of those things where it's so hard in league to carry on your own. You know, in, in a lot of international tournaments, we have found that, uh, you know, the weakest player defines you even more often than your strongest player. 
And, uh, you know, that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day is, you know, Faker could do some great things and the rest of his team let him down and they lose that game five. But if Michael Jordan wants to put up 70 in a game, he's going to put up 70 in a game. Like he can just, he has that switch. Kobe has that switch. LeBron has that switch. I I don't think you have that switch in a League of Legends situation. It's not that, you know, if anyone did, I believe it would be our man Faker. But I I don't know if that switch exists in uh, in League of Legends the same way. Uh, We should move on. What's our next question, Walter? Our next question is from Yardi0010. Will the West rise from the ashes? I uh, I appreciate that he capitalized ashes because it makes it sound like are they going to figure out? Are they going to learn from prey how to hit the crystal arrows so that they're ready for next split? Um, no, I, I mean not not in the short term at least. I think that if you look at the investments being made right now, you're looking at a lot of orgs throwing a lot of money. You know all these professional sports teams getting together, and I think all of that. Um, you know, it, it is very much in play. I, I think that, you know, you, you see that eventually these kinds of infrastructure things pay off. But, you know, you look at, you know, Gar- Killikas pointed this out in the chat. You know, Kokoma said that, I always like to say Kokoma when I, when I actually read it out loud. Kokoma said he could take an NA team to the finals. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of Koreans that do believe, like, the problem is a pure infrastructure problem. And I'm not sure I agree with that. It would be a very interesting experiment for, you know, for sure. Um, I I think that at the end of the day, there are problems with player mentalities that need to be fixed. I think you need to convince the players that they need to play like Korean players, put in the hours that they do. You know, who cares if... They're not making the money, just like Koreans don't prioritize the money over things. And there has to be a point at which you're willing to take a short-term hit for that long-term benefit. Uh, two, three years from now, we'll see if these investments pay off. I don't think it's going to happen next year. I think we're still far away from that. I mean, do you, do you agree, disagree? Or, I mean, um, you're, you're more pessimistic than I am with a lot of this. I... <sighs> That's the problem is I think the investment that the teams have to make to actually compete, like, it depends. What do you mean, like, it depends on your definition of rise from the ashes. Do I think that we get two teams to semifinals? It's always a possibility because weird things can happen. Seedings can always be weird. Riot could totally change the format of the entire thing and, and have only eight teams show up and whatever. I think it's way more likely Korea gets another seed. In, in some, like, big span, and now there's four Korean teams that you have to deal with, like, rise from the ashes. Do I think a team is going to win a world championship? No. I do not think it is likely. I don't think that'll happen. I think the investment for a North American organization or European organization to do it is too high that it just doesn't make sense for them financially or in, in the economics of their region not just the financial amount but in terms of the building a brand you have to sacrifice think about how much streaming time that tsm sacrificed and some of them still streamed a little bit like double lift and bjergsen during the regular season still streamed a couple hours after they had scrims a day yeah now get rid of those couple hours of scrims and just or those couple hours of streams and just scrim and just be doing solo key practice off a of stream like mm-hmm. there was still more that they could have sacrificed and a 
not very efficient system still. So then put them into an efficient system, sacrifice all their free time, sacrifice all their you know, extraneous time, and it's all practice. It is 100% League of Legends all the time because as much as Weldon wanted to say that, I doubt that's the case because that's just not how Western minds are wired. We like having a break. We like being able to take a break. We like having a couple hours to ourselves in the morning to have a cup of coffee, go for a run. Like, guys are saying, oh, we go to the gym. I don't know if, like, the SKT guys go to the gym by themselves or if it's, like, they have an hour that's mandated by their training program. Like, I don't necessarily know how those things work for individual organizations, but to most of them, that seems like some free time where it's not required, but they choose to because it keeps them healthy. It gets them, you know, some energy, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I don't think so. I think Western teams need to just sacrifice the idea of actually winning a world championship for now. And unless they get the five best players in both regions together on one team, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I just I don't see it happening. In, in the long run, we'll see. But in the long run, we'll all be dead, as uh, as Kansman <laughs> said. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Rasta Duppy, would you rather watch who he plays here at MSI or Medios play Leeson at Worlds? <laughs> Uh, the correct answer to this is watching the beginning of the Dignitas Renegades game where four people are executed in the first five minutes. That, that is how I genuinely punished one of the players on my team. I told him that if uh, he didn't get his act together, I was going to make him watch the beginning of that game ten times in a row. Uh, it wouldn't have been a great use of, uh, of time as far as improving him goes, but I guarantee you he wouldn't have stepped out of line again. So that thread actually worked out quite well. Um, what about you, Walter? Which would you, if you had to watch one, gun to your head, which would you? Let me put it this way: I'm going back and watching the season one world championship this week. Oh God, that uh, I can't wait, dude. Look, I can't wait. I'm I can't wait. I, I'm happy for you, man. I'm I, actually like excited to do it. I, I like I, I like today in my like free time, I was like doing research about it. So I'm like, okay, what was the context going into this? And surprisingly, unsurprisingly enough, um, there's very little information about uh, pre pre world season one, um, League of Legends. There's like very little information out there. Like very few tournaments, um, very few pick and bans. Like finding vods is almost impossible because some of them were on a. A, a website that no longer exists today. Right. Um, yeah, so that's that was an interesting journey. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna go back and watch season one world championship. Yeah, I uh, I actually Excuse showed me. it to people. Uh, yeah, my cousin Claire, because we didn't get to go to the Rift Walk, but I did want to get her to know like this is this is what you need to know. I showed her I showed her season one's world championship, just what the map looked like, and you know talked about how like yeah we didn't even have uh, you know a jungle for a while. Like, if you look at the champion spotlight, we told Sivir to uh, take Smite just to improve her clear because that was a thing that even the developers thought was a good idea at the time. Um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, we then, I then showed her the backdoor from XPK and I showed her the faker, what was that? And then we watched, uh, you know, we, then we got to watch an entirely different uh, type of experience when. Uh, you know, the world championship finally came around and we got to see, you know, you know, things work itself out. And then of course we go and watch Rocks Tigers versus uh SKT the next you know, that night and it's like, okay, yeah, this is uh this is a little bit different. Um So 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 before we go to the next question, Kurgilicus, so it wasn't that it took a really long time. It's just that two different metas emerged in North America and Europe. Europe was the the meta that we see today, the eighty carry support bottom lane, a jungler 
and then a mid and, a, and you know and then two solo lanes. Um, North America, though, for the most part, pre-Worlds, and most teams adapted going into Worlds um, against the European teams, against the Singapore and the Philippine team, uh, Filipino team, um, North America tended to play their own meta, but when they had to play against um, the Europeans, they, they shifted to that meta. But they played, like, a double utility bot style. So we're talking, like, Annie and Brand, or Tarek and Nunu, like, things like that. Um the the one issue though with North America was that players didn't really sit in roles. It was they were good at like certain champions. And if you go back and you look at like the, the champion diversity of the players from season one worlds, double on, on Epic Gamer, for instance, Doublelift, uh Westor, and Dyrus all had games as 80 carries according to like the algorithms that uh, esports wikis use to determine their position mm-hmm. um that was something extremely prevalent among the north american scene and really unless you were a jungler um you played all four of the other positions and it was much more about like dota experience and resource management in terms of w- who played where um and what champions you were, you were good at so like uh uh, Suchet was like very good at Gragas and Brand. So if you ever wanted to put Brand in the bottom lane, Suchet would go there. He wouldn't play mid lane like he normally did. Where Europe was very much, these are the champions we think are good in each specific lane in each specific position. You know, Suchet, you're good at Gragas and Brand. They both go in the middle. We'll also learn Malzahar and Annie because those are other champions that are good in that position. Oh, Yellowstar, you're really good at Misfortune and Ash. Go ahead and learn Corky and I forget what other eighty carry was around then. Like go learn these, you know, four marks Cogma. Mm-hmm. Like that was really how those two ran. And you even had those problems even going after that tournament for a little while in North America, where as players were trying to figure out, oh, okay, well, this is how the meta is supposed to be played. An eighty carry, two solo lanes, and a jungler and a support, like, oh, well, I'm really good at tanks. So I can play either top lane jungle or support, but which of the tanks am I best at? Oh, well, I'm better at Tarek and Alistar than I am at, like, Malphite. Okay, well, I guess I'm a support now. Okay, now I need to learn all these other support champions. So I wouldn't say it took a long time for the meta to really evolve. I would say it took a long time for the players to adapt to that meta and and actually get good at playing in that meta. Yeah. Um, I mean, and to be fair, I, I think that the learning curve for every game is a little different. And I think that the fact that it was so regionalized and there were so few tournaments that really gave us an idea of what we could reasonably expect. And, I, and here's, here's... I mean, that's going to have a natural selling process. And, and you have to remember, like, this is before we had VODs that were so easy to access. This is before mm-hmm. we have such transparency. We have things like esports wikis, which are so wonderful and keep me sane. Everything was done through the boards, oh like dirt through the forums. Like tournaments were all done through the forums. You went and like someone put together a bracket, but most of your communication was done on like Teamspeak or IRC. Um, but like there were cons. Like, like even in season two and three, when I like played as a player, like you didn't go onto Reddit and there wasn't like, oh hey, do this. You went onto like ESL and played in Gopher Lulls, and then random people would do. RP tournaments or like really small like thousand dollar prize pool tournaments that they would announce on the forums and you'd get together a random team like I played I think three or four different gopher lols and every single one of them I was on a different team and the first one was literally a forum post on a Friday night like hey we're playing in gopher lol on Saturday 
we're looking for players. It was like two friends. So I played with them, and we got to the semifinals, and I got my butt handed, handed to us by a bunch of like challenge-level players that were in the um, LCS qualifiers and, and for spring season. Um, and like the highlight of it was that our top laner looked up to their top laner and like studied him and went pretty even with him. Like he was our best player and he went pretty even against this guy. And I smite stole a red buff as Sejuani from the enemy jungler. Nice. He played he played Fiddlesticks against us, and Fiddlesticks was not a good champion then. But I was like silver level Elo. So that's the extent of my playing career as a as a professional League of Legends player. Yeah. I love how that started as an as an esports historian thing, and then became you humble bragging about you being a, a professional. I was a professional player in the ESL Go for a little circuit. I, uh, I look, man. There, I c- certainly not something I've ever done. <laughs> certainly not something I could ever do now. My silver five uh, scrubness will have to stick with uh, some of those. Uh, who's who's the the site that reached out to us that does those, those kind of fun tournaments? I want to give uh, them a shout-out. Attack Online? Attack Online. They're, they're cool dudes. I, I've liked working with them in the past. Um, let's uh, let's move forward. DM Top Hat. Next year at Worlds, NA or EU? Uh, Russia, obviously. Right? That's that's what we we learned. Oh, wait, no. We're, I mean, I, honestly, it doesn't matter. NA. Really? You're so sure? NA is going to have more money. NA is going to have way more money. I agree with you. I, I think that you're money, right. money doesn't money doesn't solve everything, but like any is going to have way better players. And, and let me put it this way: from the people that we've talked to about rumored roster changes, every team except maybe TSM are going to have roster changes, and there'll be improvements, like substantial improvements. We're talking about there's probably going to be another Korean exodus, and there's probably going to be an exodus from China of Korean players too. There's going to be a lot of money that changes hands in this offseason. So I, I'm going to go with North America because just right now they have more money. Uh, I'm Maybe s- we get like eight Premier League and Bundesliga teams that come in and want to put $20 million up like PSG supposedly might off some number that they immediately refuted and say, we don't know where you got this number from. But Yeah, no, I'm not expecting any numbers like that. Um, I, I will say this. I, I think that one of the things uh, that we need to take into account when we look at these, um, it's just a matter of, you know, it, it, natural talent is also relevant. Um, you saw Europe. The reason that they keep doing well is because they have this homegrown ca- talent that matters. Um, I, you know, it, it's able to make it so that the weakest player on these European teams is not holding you back. I made the, you know, the God-given joke. I said a lot of wonderful things about him and then pulled the <laughs> rug out from under you. But in all reality, right, uh, their weakest player on that team was Vander. Vander's yeah. not that bad. Uh, they're, you know, in the you context at, of Europe. Yeah. In the context, well, in the, even in the context of, like, compared to CLG's weakest player in this tournament. Um, who he? You know, he, he's a lot better than who he, you know, comparatively. Compare it to... You know what we saw from Cloud Nine and their weakest player. Uh, I mean, you you can make an argument that Medios was terrible. You can <laughs> Medios argument, or Smoothie. I mean, Smoothie was Jensen. bad. I mean, yeah, everyone was bad. I mean, actually, go, go down the list, and and that's the problem is that so much of these World Championships come down to the weakest player 
decides things. And, and for the record, Yardi, I, I agree with you. I think that Cloud and I did have the week, uh, the weakest group. Or are you talking about Albus? We're Knox? Talking about Albus Knox. Okay, which we'll, we'll get we'll get to that question we'll get to in, that in a second. I I, I think uh, I think Cloud Nine had the easiest group because for whatever reason, uh, uh, Flash Wolves decided to take themselves out of it. So, I mean that helps when the team that should have been competitive decided not to um, not to show up. Not to <coughs> I I'm so mad. I'm so mad. At <laughs> I have, I have not. We'll, uh, we'll get to Albus Knox in a minute because yeah. that's actually a really interesting question. Yeah, that I wanted. yeah, the Albus Knox we're gonna we're gonna go in, but let's let's clean up a couple of these quick hits first. Uh, Yardi twenty zero zero ten. Would Coma have more fun coaching in the West where he isn't expected to win anything? Uh, this is, I think, in reference to an interview that Coma did where he said that it's getting boring because SKT is just expected to win all the time. Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I think that's something you say when. You're winning all the time, and you get you know you forget what it's like to lose. Um, anyone who's been on a losing team can tell you that it sucks. Uh, I have watched, um, you know, I, I I have been a part of a losing team. You know that's why I'm not in Istanbul anymore. Uh, also the bombings, but you know that as well. You know, <laughs> both both of these things. Um, I would say that you know at the at the end of the day, you know, if you look at my Atlanta Falcons, your Buffalo Bills, you know the the Cleveland Browns, the Joe and Vince support, you know, the the Lions and my friend Zach, who may or may not listen to this podcast. He follows me on Twitter and somehow puts up with the fact that I talk about 90% League of Legends things, despite having watched one game his entire life, you know? Like, we know what it's like to root for bad teams. I'm a CJ Entis fan. I know what it's like to root for bad teams. You don't really... You think you want to have that challenge, but you really don't. I would argue maybe the one thing Coma would really enjoy is taking on a young team. Like if, like if sister, you know, let, let's say that teams were allowed to live in a house together almost like siblings and they were able to, you know, kind of play against each other and you could develop <laughs> talent within that. I think Coma would be really good at that. In fact, I, I bet he'd spend an entire year focusing on the second team as a challenge to see how far he could get them, potentially to the first team's detriment. Um, I, you know, I, it's something I could see him doing in a certain situation uh, that may have happened in 2014. So, Walter... I don't know what you're talking about. That's some revisionist history right there, my friend. Oh, man. Yeah, can I just say that one of my proudest things uh, in my podcast history is going on Into the Rift and... <laughs> Cargillicus, you're not allowed to say the word sister teams. That's, uh, that's, that's something that uh, Riot is uh, going to insta-ban you from this chat for even bringing it up. Um, I, it has no power here. Don't worry about that. Yeah, that that's fair. Um, I, I, however, do. <laughs> yeah, God. Oh, that's that's kind of terrifying in and of itself. Um, but, Time out. But anyway, uh, God, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, I, I, I think that y- you look at um, a coma. I, I really could see him doing a young team thing. I just can't see him doing, um, you know. I, I don't see him leaving Korea. I certainly don't see him wanting to start all over with a team that just absolutely sucks. Where, where do you come down on it? Uh, yeah, I just don't think there's any reason for him to leave Korea, let alone SKT. I think they really trust him. Um, and 
again, it's the, the type of investment. Like, I don't think bringing Korean coach, one Korean coach, automatically solves everything for any Western team. I think you have to bring that entire infrastructure. They have multiple position coaches. Even though they don't have sister teams, they have multiple players that either come visit the house or come live in the house that practice against these players. There's a reason that Rainover went to uh, Korea to boot camp with CLG. He was there to help Smithy. That that's the kind of stuff you need to do if you are a North American team to actually like reach Korean levels of infrastructure. And I just don't think that they want to, that they can afford to. Like a team like TSM probably could. A team like TSM did bring in some people. They brought in um, Matt. Matt. Uh, I can't pronounce his. Last, I don't remember what his last name is, but he he used to be known as Ice Pig. Like, the Sejuani player, he was in charge of, like, teammate. Um, yeah. Like, they brought in people to be, like, positional coaches and to practice against them and, like, things like that. But yeah. not to the extent where Korean teams do. Like, they're going to go on vacation for probably two or three weeks after they get home. And then whatever the first tournament it is, they're going to be back a month beforehand practicing for it. The Korean teams are still scrimming. Like, right now. Yeah. Because they're trying to figure out what players they're going to bring in to replace. Like, Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think people will take a break. I mean, we saw the Kespa Cup ever won the Kespa Cup. And it was not because Ever was the best team at that tournament. Um, I'm, I'm sure that to a certain extent they do take breaks around that time. But you're right. I mean, this is this is the thing that NA and EU need to do. And we're starting to see it with the Schalke Day and with the NA Scouting Grounds. You have to scout solo queue talent. You need to spend a lot of time and energy doing that. You need to see what they're like, you know, in a scrim situation. See if they're workable. See if they have the right personality. I mean, I I went through this when we had to find a new jungler for my uh, Turkish team. It was a difficult process, and it required knowing a guy who knew a guy who were willing to have teams come in. And you know, it's uh, you know, it's it's something that there there needs to be a heck of a lot more of before we're willing to, uh, you know, to, to get really close to this. Um, Walter, Rasta Duppy wants to know, let's say all Rocks members go to North America. Which teams would you put them on? Uh, my instinct is to say we don't know because we don't know who's staying and going on each team. But I think, I think the most obvious one to me is if Kuro wants to play and he comes to North America, CLG. I think he instantly fits with that. I think he is a better version of Hui, and he instantly fits into what they want. You can keep Hui as the sub and help train him up. Um, I think Peanut can pretty put him, pretty much put him on any team that needs a jungler. Echo Fox sounds good. Um, team Liquid sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, like... Yeah. The problem with this question is it really depends on a lot of things. We've heard some rumors about a couple of the teams um, that I, I don't want to spoil because it's not my job. I'm not a breaking news person like that. So I, what I would like to see is, is definitely Curl on CLG. Um, I, I would like to see Smeb on TSM. Not as a TSM fanboy, but because Smeb is that kind of you can leave him on his island, and he will. He is a tremendous enough player that he can make it work. He can play tanks. He can play the carries. You can put a ton of resources into him, and you'll be fine. You can put no resources into him, and he'll be fine. Um, I think he would. He would prove to be really efficient there. Um, I think Gorilla could be really good on like Cloud Nine. 
where he just is like a constant micromanage. This is what you do. Him, like him and Peanut going to Cod Nine and get rid of Impact would be like incredible for that organization. I mean, and, well, you'd have to get rid of Jensen too. Yeah, well, you're not getting. Yeah, you'd have to get rid of Jensen. You're not doing that, and they're already going to yeah, go with contracts, do so don't worry about it. Um, Cloud, yeah, Cloud Nine's lock themselves in. I think I think like Gorilla and, and Peanut oh. be a great combination for. I, I think when Huni when Huni uh, inevitably leaves uh, Immortals, I think that Smeb would be a good fit there. If he wanted to go to NA, I think that would work out very that well. That could be. You could that could be just because you already well. have a Korean jungler in Rainover who um, has very strong ties to to Kanking top lane. Yeah, TSM have an import slot, so they can grab whoever they wanted. Um, I'm not sure double lift is long for this world. Um, I, 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 you know, again, I'm not here to spread rumors. That's not my job, but I do not think that that's going to end well. So, you know, who does Biofrost want to play with? Well, if there isn't an obvious NA80 carry, uh, and I don't think there is one right now. I think the, the one that I like Biofrost, but if you get rid of double, if you get a, a whole new bot lane, like you let Biofrost try yeah. out again, but yeah, you, well, how about this? You you drop Sven Skarin, try to buy out contracts or whoever you know the best you know Dardock. Dardock, Dardock hasn't left yet. Get Dardock, and then just import the Prey Gorilla bot lane. I'm, you got Bjergsen Prey on, Gorilla. I'm not as high on Prey as everyone else is. I the second you take him out of this like utility eighty carry meta, I don't think he's as good. He's not as good, but he has Gorilla, who is amazing, and the two of them have a lot of great synergy. There's a reason that the Rocks Tigers have made it to the World's Finals and then the semifinals, which was essentially the finals this year, back to back years, despite being two very different metas. Like Prey may not be the best in a non-utility meta, but he and Gorilla work really well together. And I think that if you can get a bot lane and, and bring it wholesale, I think that that is a chance to work out. But again, all of this is going to come down to who's leaving when and, and, and the timing of all these things. There are going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of notes. Um, mm. uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, Kargilicus brought up a point about China I want to get to just really quickly. Uh, he said something about China looks like it's back on the road to recovery. Uh, who knows? Um, I know who knows isn't technically I know that was not meant to be a question but I'm interpreting it as one because I want to talk about China for a second um, I have talked to Chinese experts uh, about this on multiple occasions and every single one of them you know you look at Kelsey Moser she was the person who was arguing the most strongly that EDG was going to underperform and that where people were ranking them was insane and she thought that, you know, last year she said that she thought it was going to be another two years before China figured it out. And the problem that China has, and it's, it's a very understandable one, they've thrown a whole bunch of money at players to the point where the players have all of the power in the relationship. And they don't have to care. Um, and they don't. And the infrastructure is bad. Uh, there are some smart coaches. Uh, Aaron is a very smart coach. There's a reason that we see uh, RNG and Edward Gaming come back every year, and it's only that third spot, spot that uh, alters back and forth. But the infrastructure as a whole, the amount of, you know, those guys might have good understanding of the game. Rapidstar has good understanding of the game, but he's not a guy who sits them down and forces them to play a certain way and, you know, fly, you know, same kind of problem. They're not administrators. They're not, you know, the kind of guys that are going to crack the whip. 
And even if they did, what, what are you going to do anyway? Um, and, and there's this kind of mentality that China has because all of these players are so mechanically gifted. They all are so naturally talented, and they've gotten paid all this money, so they must be that talented. So then they don't need to practice as hard, right? Because if they needed to practice that hard, then why would they be getting paid so much money? Why would they be these stars of the team? Why would they be racking up such great stats uh, against all of these other teams? And that's where everything falls apart because you then get players who aren't able to put the effort into it or aren't willing to put the effort into it or scariest don't believe they need to put the effort into it followed by coaches that don't really have any power in this equation and a whole bunch of Chinese millionaires who don't really give a crap at all because they're just doing this to, as you know, as the same reason that an NBA owner buys a team. They like the pride of it. They like to say they have one and they'll make more than enough money back from streaming because that's where the real money is in China. And you've just got this cavalcade of issues. And honestly, with China, I think China needs to bottom out before things are going to get better. China needs to have a year in which everyone embarrasses them. And and, and this year, they're, they're getting closer, right? They're getting closer to that, like, you know, hearing all these things about clear love, watching EDG and, uh, and Royal Never Give Up basically be jokes in the quarterfinals. Maybe that's enough. Maybe that will inspire the, you know, rally the troops and get China to realize that there's more to it than just getting talent because they bought all of the Korean talent and two years later, Korea is still stomping them and it's not particularly close. But I think they needed to hit that rock bottom for China to realize this, even as it's so obvious to the rest of us. And we'll see if they genuinely learn the lesson or not. Um, that's, you know, I, I think that it went, uh, you know, chi China messed up last year, but it wasn't, it wasn't badly enough. Remember, they'd made it to the finals the two years before that, so they believed it was an aberration. This is the year they take it seriously because it happened twice in a row. This is when change can happen, uh, just to address that point, Garkilikas. Um, that was at least how it was explained to me by the uh, couple Chinese experts that I've talked to. Um, I have hope, I believe, but it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you know, MSI meant that they could pretend that the world's 2015 wasn't that bad, and they can pretend that you know, you can only pretend that things aren't as bad as they are for such a, you know, for so long. Eventually, denial doesn't hold strong. And that's where we are right now. I don't, I don't know how China denies how bad the situation has gotten at this point. But we'll say, I don't know. They've, uh, they've had time to learn this lesson, and they haven't. And they keep getting away with it because of the player base. But I don't think in the long run this is sustainable. And the amount of money they're putting in is not sustainable. It's uh, that's that's how I feel about China. I mean, I I have nothing to say about China. <laughs> I I have literally nothing to say about China. Um, that's fair. I'm just so just so you guys can see me. I have my microphone here. I I don't know anything about China. Yeah. Um, as as obvious as me gambling on them to win uh, the world championship. Um, so I made a mistake, and uh, don't make that mistake. And I think uh, I think people made I think people made a very excellent point today, basically saying that it's Korea and then everybody else. Yeah, and uh, that's the truth. It is. It's Korea then everybody else. It looks like Did we're uh, we're on our last question, um, unless anyone's gonna come at uh, the last minute. But let's talk about Albus Knox Luna because Garkilikus asks: Are Albus Knox actually a good team, or did they get overlooked and underestimated? I 
have some strong feelings. Also, uh, just really quick, LGD, I see some people talk about LGD. LGD was one game away from qualifying for Worlds, guys. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. They really did well towards the end. They are a talented team. It took them a while to synergize well. They are not the example you're looking for. That's actually one of the few Chinese organizations that figured out how to give a crap. IG is the example you're looking for. <laughs> IG is the perfect Snake is the example for. you're looking for. <laughs> Thank you. LGD is not that team. L- LGD, LGD is an, at the beginning of the year, yeah, like pre-MSI, perfect example. Like, gorgeous example. Hell, even like Summer Split RNG is a perfect example of like Chinese teams just not figuring stuff out after making uh, overpriced investments into... Uh, players and and not realizing that you can't just buy five random players and throw them into a team and have them all be successful. Um, sometimes you have to they actually consider things like chemistry and yeah. resource allocation and uh, what your players are good at. Because if you have five carries on your team, um, who's going to play support? So, um, yeah, I I LGD definitely played like crap in the beginning of spring and even the beginning of summer split, but they they turned it on towards the end from what I saw. Um, but yeah, IG, IG and Snake are definitely you want to you want to talk about some uh, some falling off the falling off the bandwagon. That's that's those two teams right there. Press F to pay respect for Cacao. That's that's all I have to say. Struggling to stay in the LSPL. That, that's that's where we are in life, guys. God damn. But let's get back to Elvis Knox Luna because this is this is a an interesting question. Okay. And Cargillicus, Car- I want you since, since you're in chat, tell me what you mean by good. I, I want I want you to I want you to qualify what you mean by good. Yeah, and while you qualify Cause, cause that, can take this one or two directions. Uh, yeah, because well, I I think that's a good point. I'm also gonna say, um, uh, just in in quick reference while we wait for that, it's really you know it's tough to look at best of ones and say that we have enough evidence to say in any direction how good a team truly is. This is something that. Uh, James Obscurica Chen wrote in an article for PvP Live today, which I highly recommend everyone go read. Um, it is very difficult to look at best of ones and say, yes, this is the ideal way to judge um, to judge a situation. Uh, they had a couple wins that were, you know, kind of interesting, I'll say. Um, I, I think that, you know, you could say that some of the teams they played against blew it just as much as you know, Albus Knox won it. Again, it's going to really depend on the definition of good that we're going to wait to see. But but I will say this. If you were to ask me, you know, if you play this tournament 100 times, how many times does Albus Knox Luna get out? I would say 5 out of 100. I, I, don't think, I don't think we see G2 play this badly if you play this 100 times. And, you, you know, I don't think you see CLG you know, throw away a couple of those games that they had in the palm of their hand as much as um, as much as they did. We do have our, our definition from Cargelicus, Gar- uh, uh, which is, uh, are they a team that would deserve to be at Worlds if they weren't a wild card? Are they a team that would reasonably look like they could make it from NA or EU? Um, so, Walter, with that qualification, what is your opinion? I think that they would be a mid-tier like seven to four team they'd be they'd be fighting to um to get into the playoffs and and out of regulate uh, relegation um that could 
if a team or two above them underperformed, could like sneak in as a three seed, maybe. But um, I don't think they'd be like a consistent like cloud nine where they're a top three team every single. Right. I think they did catch a lot of teams off guard because we're very used to we're very used to these teams like playing really aggressive in the early game. Um and that that's like that's how Pain Gaming was successful. That's how Kaboom kaboomed Alliance. Even Bangkok Titans got out to leads against EDG in both of their games and even got a like small like thousand gold lead in ten minutes against SKT last year. That's how they try to play. Is they try to play super fast, super aggro, make the early game sloppy, and try and just get lucky on a couple kills early on. The difference is that that is how Russia plays. Period. We think that China is aggressive. I said this a thousand times on the pod, a thousand times when talking about Elvis Knox in like the previews and everything. Russia. It is a common practice that at 20 minutes your supports drop whatever they're doing and go ward Baron because if there is a chance that a, t- that a Russian team can sneak a Baron at 20 minutes, they're going to do it. They're just going to do it. They're just going to go for that Baron and try and sneak it. They're going to go war- clear all that vision at 20 minutes, at 19 minutes, and if they think they have the damage to do it, they're going to do it. They don't think about it. It's just a common practice in Russia to do that. Mm-hmm. And because they're so used to that, Elvis Knox Luna was actually one of the slower teams in that region. Mm-hmm. They were very methodical once they got that lead of that strangle choke you out. They were very, very good at making sure that enemy teams did not sneak that Baron. They were very good at making sure they didn't sneak Dragon, didn't sneak Towers, didn't out-rotate them. They were among the best teams in Russia for a reason. And I think that people just didn't expect that kind of consistency and that kind of um, rotational thought that from a wildcard team. So I think they were sort of under under studied and it was known they had cheese picks. It was known they had the brand. It was known that they had some of these off uh, Anivia. Anivia is like a Kira specialty and nobody was playing Anivia at this tournament except him. So teams were constantly thinking about that and I just think they overperformed their standing. I think all five of those players played better than anyone ever expected them. Smurf looked good yeah. up until he played against Odawamne and was put in constant losing matchups against that Jace. He played very, very well on like these tanks, and I think he was actually the key to their success in that like week two group stage run. Um, so would I say they are good? I think they could survive in the LCS. Yeah. I don't think they would be a consistent threat to get out of uh, out of like the LCS as a the uh, world championship team consistently, but I could see them sitting in that sort of middle of the pack, four to seven spot, fighting for a playoff spot. Maybe they sneak into the semifinals, like they're playing in the gauntlet type team. Well, and and here's the problem that I always have um, when we have this question of like, how would they do in EU and NA? Uh, they don't have the resources of EU and NA. Uh, when you look at how much Turkish team makes or Russia team makes or whatever, you know, Brazilian teams, whatever wild card region you want to look at. They don't have the resources or the coaching staff or the gaming houses or whatever else that you are thinking that, you know, when you think about, you know, what European teams or North American teams have to offer. They are a whole step down. That's why we call them wildcard regions. And they are only as good as the opponents they're playing every week. So this happened to be a very good split for the Russian scene. There were a few good teams in the Russian scene 
you know, mostly because guys like Edward had to go back and they couldn't play in Europe anymore. Um, that, does Russia have as good of a split again? Likely not. Uh, what has happened when they haven't had that good of a split? They haven't played very well. Uh, we haven't seen a Russian team make it to world since season three back gaming gear uh eu i think it was like this is this is the kind of thing where it's really impossible to give albus nox yuna um you know the 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 fair opportunity of you know what it was that um you know that they uh they'd be able to do now if you gave them eu resources I think they could be a, you know, I, I put them in one of the four to six range as far as that goes. I think as far as, you know, what H2K looked like in the regular season, I think they were a better team than that. I, I think that um, there's certainly a lot that they could potentially do if they're able to make, you know, to have the money to pick up a player or two to shore up their weak spots. Obviously, you would want to replace Miracle if you could. Uh, you might want to replace Smurf depending on the meta. But they have talented players. That was, the, the, I guess, the, what the the key to me is, did they deserve to get out of the group stage? And the thing that to me separates a good wildcard team from a great one, is that they had already been scouted after a full week, and on week two they were just as good as they were on week one, if not better. They won two of their three games, you know, in in the six main ones, each of those times. And at the end of the day. One, you know, second week they beat, you know, they managed to beat Rocks Tigers, and and their loss to G two I think was caused as much by their inexperience and their inability to settle their nerves right after what was essentially their Super Bowl, as it was anything else. Um, do I think they could do it again? I, probably not. I think best of twos, best of threes, best of fives all expose weaknesses and allow teams to adjust, but. That also says a lot about what we need to be doing for wildcard teams so that they have the tools that they need so that they can make these adjustments. And the problem that I have you know, here and the problem that I have in general um, with a lot of these systems is that it counts on trickle-down kind of talent to, to save the day. And this is where Rasta Duppy's next question, should there be a no Korea tournament so we could see a series of chances of other teams or regions winning? You know, it, it's kind of a meme in and of itself, but in all reality, um, it's a it's a significant, you know, kind of issue that we're even talking about. We need a tournament with no Korean teams just to have a shot. That's a bad sign. That's a bad thing to say. Um, what we really need is we need tournaments where mid-tier teams can also play internationally against each other. The four, five, six, seven spots for all these regions need to be playing against each other. Now, what does the fourth place team in Korea do against the fourth place team in North America? Well, they probably kick their ass, but we probably learn a lot more. And the middle of the pack teams in these regions that are right now just getting blown out of the water, they get better across the board rather than having two or three teams constantly soak up the experience year after year. And then they don't bring it, you know, they, they get better, but then the rest of their teams that they play against aren't as good and they get complacent. And then an international tournament comes back and they get blown out of the water again and it becomes a, a repeating cycle. Um, that is, that, that's kind of how I feel about it. It's, it's less, let's not ha have a no Korea tournament. It's more, let's have a tournament where we get to have some of these mid-tier teams get a chance to actually learn what it's like to play against international teams, to learn how to adjust to an international meta, to 
to learn the skills that you need to win best of fives. And then let's see if they take that back home. I think that those experiences matter. And right now, it is a very upper crust of the Western world that gets to experience that. Trickle down. Yeah. Trickle down doesn't work for three teams coming in. I don't know why it'll work for six. Um, I mean, but but six is, is the entirety of the playoffs. That's the that's the entirety of teams that matter. I I don't think that playing against them is is. I don't think that's the solution. I think honestly, if you want to compete with the Koreans, you have to have to do what they're doing. You have to have the coaching staff. You have to have the exact infrastructure that they're doing. That's the only way you're going to be as good as them. Um, and because it's efficient practice, it's practice how you want to play. And I think that just the Korean practice style and the Korean infrastructure is just that much more efficient and that much better. And because it's better and more efficient, that it, it that's why they're successful. Sure, we can take a game or two off of them every once in a while, but to consistently beat them, you have to be practicing exactly the way you want to play. And I just don't see all 10 teams in North America getting up to that level in terms of the infrastructure and in terms of the the diehard desire to play the game um, to do it. So I, I guess international tournaments without Korea, technically those are your, like, that's your LCS, that's your LPL. Like, it's not an international tournament then, and just removing Korea from it is creating kind of a, a segregationist mindset that I just don't agree with. Like if it's an international championship, it should be an international championship. I'm glad that that's why IEM is starting to include some challenger teams in some of their tournaments and trying to expand what they're doing to allow some of these other teams in. Um, but if you want to increase the amount of it, teams that play internationally, you have to full-scale redo your entire world league structure and turn it into where you have one split that maybe goes 15 weeks and then you have a super large international tournament that takes up, you know, two to three months where you, you know, using that 15-week regular season, come up with some seedings and then you split the teams into four different groups and you send them to four regions and then you bring them all together. You bring the top eight teams at the end together for one tournament in one city and you do it in a week and you go, there we go, that's our world championship. Um, but no, I don't. I don't think that's a good idea because I think that just creates a stigmatism towards Koreans that I don't. I don't yeah. want to go there. Look, you, you got to play the best to be the best. I um... I do. I do like the idea though. Currently, if we could somehow have no language gap, I think a China EU NA LMS All Star versus the like. I love that idea. I love watching that when the MLS does that. That's so much fun. I mean, that's a, that's a really good idea, Yardy. But it's just impossible to get them all to speak the same language. Yeah, like, the, enough. the language gap matters. And let's be clear here: uh, All Star Paris 2014 had Team Fire and Team Ice, where they did exactly this. There was an NALCS, AULCS, OGN, uh, one or two players from the LPL, depending. Uh, or, yeah, um, but that but that was the, the, GPL. He's saying and, and he's saying hexagonal. do everyone versus Korea, which would be kind of fun. Yeah, that would be interesting, but I. I I guess I would put it that way. Like, we, we've seen what it's like to see players play with these language barriers. It wasn't fun. I, it was not very enjoyable. Um, I don't know how it would be more enjoyable to throw them together just because we make Korea the bad guys. Um, that, that's fine. I get, I get the idea behind it. Um, I, I just don't think that the games that we did see, even though they were jokey modes, like, 
they were a mess. It was an absolute mess to watch these guys try to try to pretend like, um, you know, you know, they they actually can communicate at all. And you know, I had some fun moments. It does whatever. I I, I just can't get into it. Um, Walter, I, I'm just gonna have to take over for a second because I've been asked uh, how I ended up coaching in Turkey. Um, I. I don't really like talking about this story very much because it does not end very well for me. I learned a lot of valuable lessons from it, certainly. Um, to, to keep a long story very short, I, I met a, a person who I considered a friend for a long time called uh, Harun Yavuz. Um, he was a German person of Turkish heritage who uh, was working for SK Gaming at the time. Uh, I ended up becoming friends with him, uh, maintaining a connection over the years. When I graduated from university, he asked if I wanted to be a writer for a uh, organization that was kind of coming from the ashes of MYM. The whole idea is they wanted it to be a player-first organization and uh, completely rebranded, um, getting rid of all of the people that had been found uh, guilty during all of the uh, the hearings and, and everything else, all the competitive rulings that Riot had put out. just get rid of all those guys, start over with good people that this owner could trust, this ogre owner being Jurgen Erhard. Um, I am not going to say anything that could get me in any sort of legal trouble. What I will say is that it was a very troubled time. I went from being what was supposed to be a writer, PR, media guy to a head coach and analyst while also being a radio media content creator guy because the people who were supposed to be there to back up the infrastructure were not. I ended up working, you know, we were originally supposed to be based out of Germany. And then at the last second, when my visa was about to be processed, they changed it to Istanbul. And by this point, I was already kind of far enough in the process. And I, you know, I really wanted to be a part of the professional esports scene that I was willing to take that risk. And at the end of the day, uh, I have yet to be paid for any of the work that I did. Um, and there's a there are five boxes of my stuff that are currently uh, in Jurgen Erhardt's possession, which I have not gotten back. Um, these are all things I can say without uh, incriminating myself or, or them or any of the things that went on behind closed doors with the team. Um, these are just my own personal experiences. Uh, I really loved coaching. Uh, you can go back and look at the VODs. Uh, one of my friends joked that it looked like I was about to stab my support through the ear with my pen because I was so passionate during pick and ban. Uh, I loved uh, my players. I still keep in touch with all of them. Uh, it was a wonderful experience in the sense that I worked 12 to 14 hours every day, including weekends, doing something that I loved because I believed in my guys. And it failed for reasons that were outside of pretty much all of our control and has now left me with a, uh, you know, with a reminder that most of these regions, Riot doesn't care about protecting the players or the staff or especially anyone in the challenger scene there's you know you can say it's a it's a resource problem you can you can say whatever you want um i have no positive things to say about riot turkey uh i will say that when i see things like the post that made it very popular on reddit about uh corruption in riot latin america uh, I would say that I believe 100% of what was written, and it's probably worse than it was explained. Um, that's kind of my experience now, seeing these wild cards. Um, 
But, you know, I, I wanted to give coaching a shot. This was my chance to do it professionally. Um, had I gotten paid the salary I was offered, it would have been uh, a great experience and a great time. And maybe I could have transitioned that into other things, uh, unfortunately. I, uh, you know, I, I, I learned some lessons. Um, Turkey is not a place where I would do business moving forward. I'll put it that way. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of the story of, of how it happened. I, I made a person I thought was a friend. I trusted them and things did not work out. Um, so, so that's, that's that. I, I think that's probably the last time I will talk about anything having to do with Imperial Esports, Jurgen Erhard or Harun Yavuz. Um, and if any one of them want to uh, dispute my claim that I haven't been paid and that they don't have my stuff, they are welcome to do so. Um, I'd, I'd love my, I just want my board games back, really. It's all board games. I just had, I had a board game collection with uh, a whole bunch of my friends in the university that would be really fun to, uh, to be able to play again now that I'm going to Seattle. But, que uh, sera, um, let's, let's end on a much more fun note. Um, Rasa Duppy, if you're H2K, do you roll with Freeze or Forgiven next season? I don't know if you get a choice if Forgiven goes to the military, but I guess we're assuming this is a world in which he doesn't. So, Walter, as the high priest of the Church of Forgiven, what do you do? Both. Both? You run timeshare with both of them. Yep. Interesting. Run a time timeshare with both of them. I don't trust Freeze because I don't trust his wrist. And um, Forgiven has proven that he's, he's very good, but every once in a while the meta just really pulls him out of it. So I say you run with both. You probably make Forgiven your primary guy. Um, and, and Freeze is sort of the backup, but you, you run it as kind of a timeshare. If neither guy is okay with that, then you move on. Like I, I don't think you choose either one of them. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think you choose both, or you choose neither. Yes, that's, that's kind of how I put it. I um, I think Forgiven is gone. I, I think maybe you get Yarnin back if you can. Yarnin said he wanted to just take a split break. I don't know if he you know meant it or not, but if he did. I think that that's a guy that's proven to work very well with the team. I mean, honestly, it depends on what level of rework you think this team needs. If you think this no, team needs no, to be rebuilt no. from the ground up, then you're going to feel very differently. Um, I think that they're going to need a couple changes. And if you're already changing Vander out, I think that you need to look at it and say, well, what support do we want? What supports are available? And how do we, um, how do we get those guys in a situation where we can... Um, you know, where we can make the most of that. Um, it's it's going to be a very interesting situation to see uh, what they prioritize as far as rebuilding goes. But your AD carry has to match your support. If you have an aggressive AD carry and a very passive support, it's not going to work. Look what happened with Mata and Uzi during the playoffs with Royal. Um, for, you know, for a Western team, you know, Rasta W, maybe they are fine. Maybe you just run it back. I, I think that They've kind of peaked, and I think other teams might get better. I don't know how many of these players... Like, I don't know how much better Oduwamne gets next year. I don't know how much better uh, you see Yankos get from what he performed this year. I think he's played as well as you could have asked him to. That doesn't mean you replace him. It just means that he's probably not going to get much better. So I think if you want to do better than third, something has to change. I see your head shaking 30 seconds earlier, but still. I see your head shaking, Walter. Where am I going wrong? Sharnin, no, thank you. No, I want no nothing. Hjernin. Nope, no Hjernin. Nope. Ah, oh, but he's the ruler of Europe. It's not a compliment for the. A ruler of Europe. Yeah. Um, 
okay. doesn't lane well, team fights incredibly well. Yarnan's stats were always incredible when it came to team fighting. He just doesn't lane well, and neither does Ruler for Samsung. A sneaky. Yeah, well, it's uh, old school sneaky. Sneaky man. Yeah, I don't want anything to do with Yarnan. That's, that's look, and, and that's fine. I was never, I was never impressed with him. So that, yeah. that tells you. It is what it so. is. But uh, but yeah, I think that's gonna be it. We've done Q and A for an hour. Um, hopefully, I didn't bum you guys too out with my story about coaching in Turkey. I have a whole bunch of more hilarious stories uh, about the team itself, uh, specifically about me getting put into holding on my way back from Istanbul. Um, I would love to talk to you about some of those fun things sometime, uh, maybe on either a, a drunk cast or a more casual kind of thing. Uh, there are plenty of stories that I think Walter and I can share throughout our, our eSports days that would be really fun, but we are at an hour, and that is uh, more than enough. Some of you guys, Karkhilikas, I know that you're in Europe right now, so you have been... <laughs> hardcore pulling it out for three hours now so shout out to you shout out to you know uh to dm top hat and uh david once again for uh for meeting us when we were uh when we were at worlds uh thank you guys so much every single one of you that's at this stream right now uh we really appreciate you guys you guys you know we give the people what they want and you guys are you know the people that have uh meant the world to us and allowed us to to power through and keep making these shows and uh we really appreciate it. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have any other words to say than that. It, uh, it, it's, it's wonderful being able to, to produce shows from you guys and know that you guys are out there really enjoying it and getting to meet you guys in person and know that you're exactly the kind of people we'd be proud of calling our fans. You know That, that, uh, that says a lot. Um, and so thank you guys so much for, for all of that. Um, Walter, anything before we close it out? No, I, I just have to second that. I have to say, again, David and, and Top Hat, it was awesome meeting you guys. Um, and just the fact that anybody at all is willing to hear what I have to say about League of Legends um, makes me feel good inside. It makes me want to keep doing it. So thank you guys so much for the support. Yeah. And uh, and we'll figure out. Well, like I said. See you uh, next time. Yeah, at, at Rough Drafts Pod or either of our personal Twitters, um, we will we'll figure it out. Garkelicus, uh, peace out. Enjoy your uh, your prayers at the altar of forgiveness. Um, <laughs> Don't don't use mine. I don't think he'd appreciate that as much. Or at least change up a couple of words or two, then it's legit. Hashtag um, not all TSM fans. <laughs> hashtag not all TSM fans. Uh, thank you guys again for everything. And until next time, goodbye, Internet.